Blog Talk Radio. Sunbury Press Authors Interview. I'm Van Carter. The book we are now discussing is titled, Look, I Shrunk Grandma. It's a psychiatrist's guide to nursing homes, dementia, and end of life. Not the sort of thing that trips easily into our minds, but it is the sort of thing that will become germane to all of us sooner or later. Sunbury Press author Karen Severson wrote this book. She is a doctor of psychiatry who has spent 20 years, as she puts it, up and down every urine-decorated hallway and food-splattered dining room. Thank you, Dr. Severson, for this virtual handbook on end-of-life concerns. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here. As you're talking, I... I'm still laughing at some of the interesting things I said in the book. <laughs> a lot of interesting I intentionally things. made the book humorous to be easier to read, as you can see from reading the book. Yes, very much so. Very, very easy to read. Very, uh, a comfortable but extremely informative read. I didn't want to write a book because most people don't like to read about dementia because they're also afraid of getting it. But I felt like I had to make it humorous to make it easier to get through. So that's why I used a lot of humor without trying to offend anybody, which was not easy. Well, I think you did a good job there, and I think it was important because a lot of this is extremely serious and and could be a downer sort of stuff. I think very few of us realize how intrinsic a psychiatrist is to the entire nursing home experience. Um. Yes, we are actually called upon very frequently, which, again, a lot of the families would be surprised when I was called in um, because of the viewpoint of, like, seniors. You're depressed because you're in a nursing home, not that you have a treatable depression that we can help improve your quality of life. Or um, I don't think people recognize how many behaviors there are that I get asked to see, Uh, physical aggression, verbal abuse. That was a probably about half of my job, but I just don't think people picture that in their head. Uh, Well, your QQ equation is an important consideration. Yeah, I mean, the reason I wrote the book um, was I was always caught in the middle between the families and the nursing home, and it was very hard to navigate that pathway um, because people with dementia a lot of times Um, it's hard for families to see it because they're with that person so much that um, they don't recognize it. So when they would come to the nursing homes, because I'm around it all day and I see all day, it was very clear the person was, you know, having cognitive problems. And as they declined, um, we would have to do more medical interventions, a lot of which were uncomfortable for people and actually caused the behaviors we were trying to change, like not giving a diabetic a cookie, you know, or someone gaining weight, you know, because they enjoyed food, and a lot of the families would be upset those things were happening. So I felt like I had to really explain, you know, quality of life versus quantity of life, you know. In other words, every now and then it's okay that diabetic actually should have that cookie. (laughs) Right? Uh, Yeah, because your quality of life is, you know, 
unfortunately in nursing homes there's not uh, tons of moments where you get a lot of that pleasure so it really made it hard to tell people who would say you know I'm you know I'm unhappy here can I just have a cookie I don't care if my blood sugar goes up for a minute so it was like at what point do you stop those things to keep them you know alive longer versus exactly um yeah, that's the quantity versus quality that I think helps people make those decisions when they arise. Because they, they came up constantly. And you were so fighting I, with that all of the time because the, the family's desires uh, didn't, uh, uh, doesn't sound like they, they often uh, uh, were, uh, were parallel with reality. Um, yeah, and some people are kind of surprised to hear that, but um, a lot of times people just wanted them to be kept alive, kept alive, kept alive. They just think they didn't want to say goodbye to the person, and that's also what I felt was important to discuss in the book, why we have trouble you know, letting go, because we all have to let go of a parent someday, regardless of what they pass from. But I, mentally preparing yourself for that time I think is really important. Yeah. And it will help alleviate some end of life suffering for people. I felt it was really sad that one woman who who uh kept uh begging her family that she just wanted to die and they did everything they could to keep that from happening. Yeah, I mean I really think people just can't imagine life without a mom that mom or dad. And uh I mean I I spent years struggling with why it's so hard, you know, even though you start to see the person suffer, I think there's also that thing that the medical field has the next cure or the next, you know, fix, or there'll be something down the medical pipeline that improves that quality, but there really hasn't been. Um, And sometimes the things we do make quality worse. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about neurocognitive disorder. The neurocognitive disorder is the new euphemism for the old term that most of us are used to but still don't really understand, dementia. Uh, you, you did a really good job of, uh, of uh, uh, you know, defining all of the forms of dementia, and it's, it is an extremely important diagnosis in the nursing home, isn't it? Yeah, about half of people in the nursing home have some form of you know, cognitive or your, your thinking ability impairment. Um, again, we didn't have much time in the nursing home. And if anybody who has loved ones in nursing homes, you will go up to the nurse's station and talk to the nurse and the, and the doctor. They don't have time to explain in really good uh, detail what dementia is, the types of dementia we're looking for, you know, other causes of behavior. So I thought I really wanted to write a synopsis that was easy to read. In um, like layman's terms, that you can say, oh, okay, that's dementia. I get it now, and that also, I think, would help people make decisions for their for their loved ones. Well, it cleared you know, up a, a few lot of things for me because uh-huh. uh, I wasn't sure whether or not Alzheimer's was and dementia were the same thing, and I and I guess like Parkinson's and Huntington's disease also uh, are part yeah, of that. There's actually. There are several types of dementia, so most people would say, oh, they have dementia, but they don't have Alzheimer's. Like, they would say that, and I think that was another way of kind of avoiding hearing that the A word, the Alzheimer word. But just this year, they changed the diagnosis to neurocognitive, and again, I think a big part of that, uh, they don't want us to use the word dementia because it's, it's so upsetting to people. Um, but it's still just a hard conversation to have. 
uh, with anybody to talk about dementia and the progression of it and what you can do to make people more comfortable. Uh, so that's really, I like, I wish I could have a book I could just give people that can explain it really quick. And I kind of wrote the book for myself and anybody, all the other nurses and doctors that were struggling with the same issues. Well, so, you wrote this book for all of those nurses and doctors who are on the right side of things because you uh, <laughs> you obviously cared a lot about your patients. You you cared about making the right decisions. You talk so much about all of the money interests, the the, the drug companies, and the and the special ways of yeah. getting payment from the government, which causes people to have to stay in hospitals longer and and than than they should and and things like that. So, I think you wrote this book for all of those other people who are in it because for the right reasons. Oh, I it's really a tough job. That, yeah. Uh yeah, I think that it's I've had to separate myself from it and take a, a break because I think it is very traumatic job and causes a lot of um physician and nurse burnout. So, I mean, I can only imagine what the families go through, but I know it really, really affects people that, you know, work in the field. And I think people don't always recognize, um, you know, being in the field, you it's emotionally just really heavy. <laughs> so I'm glad that I could help anybody that. Well, except for, the, uh, uh, the, except for the owners and the administrators, uh, there's not much money to be made either, is there? Um, no, it always shocks me. Like I said, the people that are actually working the hardest get not very good salary. Um, I do think even like as I do with teachers, if you pay them more, you'll probably get better care. Um, and, and police and officers. Still, yes. <laughs> Anybody <laughs> that's actually putting their, their health and because a lot of the people, they get injured on the job. Anybody putting their health on the line deserves a much better salary. And I think that would translate into much better nursing home care. Uh, probably the next thing I write will probably talk about more of the being a little more honest about some of the negatives of nursing homes. But I didn't really want to write a book that slammed nursing homes because they probably they get that most of the time. I kind of wanted yeah. people to see the other side of what it's like to be a, a nurse or a doctor in a nursing home so that we can all maybe work to, together better as families and healthcare professionals. I just, you know, instead of being at each other. <laughs> well, I guess I need uh, extra... We represent the nursing home. Sorry? Oh, I actually I actually need a little personal advice here regarding all of this because okay. a lifelong, lifelong friend of mine recently informed me he's in the beginning stages of dementia, and I don't know, uh, and we've been corresponding by email. I don't know what to say to him or how to deal with it. Uh, okay. Or even um, what to ask. I try to, yeah. The best thing to do, um, and I, I got this from my years dealing with with cancer, that when someone gets a cancer diagnosis, the first thing everybody does is they walk around their room and they they don't call as much. It's it's the same thing for with the dementia. You just be there for the person and listen to them and just let them know whatever they say is okay and just, you know, play off their lead. Just wherever they want to go, you just go comfortably with them. And I, I really honestly try to talk to people like I'm having an everyday conversation. Like, you know, uh, what are you forgetting? What kind of things are you running into at home? You know, how are you getting frustrated? Just, you know, be an investigator. And that gives them a chance to open up and 
express their fears. Okay. Uh, I know I tease people like I'm so comfortable talking about this stuff now. It's like talking about like what do you want for lunch, you know? <laughs> you just develop a comfortableness with it because it's a part of our our all of our humanity. Uh, death dying and preparing for that. So yeah. I would just ask questions, you know, just say, talk to me. Okay, okay, thanks, Sasha. That's yeah. very helpful. And now, I, I found it very informative that, that you, you talked quite a bit and made it very clear that, that all of this has something to do with the frontal lobe of the brain. Ah, uh, yes, yeah, the frontal lobe. <laughs> um, yeah, right now I work with younger teenagers and they also do not have a frontal lobe where they need to have it so it's actually a really good analogy that you always got to be watching your teenagers are they going to run out are they going to come home one time you know they they don't form their frontal lobe till their 20s um so when you start to lose that again like the, you cannot the things you start so, saying and so, doing so forgive me are for interrupting different. but you're but sure. you're saying that that the, the teenagers, and like until they're 20 or so, one of the reasons that that human teenagers have the behavioral <laughs> problems they do is because of a, a frontal lobe that hasn't uh, formed, or, yes. or or how's that work? That's absolutely correct. Yeah, um, they cannot like regulate their emotions or behaviors like an adult can. That's why it's always. You know, that's why the age is 18, at least, because you're putting a lot of you know, pressure and new information on a growing brain. And they can't always, you know, if someone says, hey, let's go do this, they'll be, okay, that's a great idea. Let's stay out past midnight and upset mom. A lot of that is a, a impulsivity of, of teenagers, you know, that doesn't, again, doesn't um, go away completely till your very early 20s. And then if you have any kind of degenerative brain disease it'll start coming back out so as we get older information as we get older dementia is almost just a reversal of that process uh that's yeah it's a that's a good analogy so that's exactly right you get more impulsive you blurt things out everybody always say oh we went over to grandpa's and he said all these things he never says before you know we gotta hide the kids from him because we don't know what he's gonna say that's the same kind of that might be signs someone is getting dementia huh. because they're blurting out sexually inappropriate or swearing. You know, that's something that's normally inhibited by our brain. We're able to say, oh, uh-huh. that's not a good time to say that in front of my teenage uh-huh. kids, you know. That yeah. brain just stops that ability. Huh. That's something and we a lot actually of it, just and a lot look of it, for. A lot of it comes into – it turns into uh, – uh, I was surprised to hear about this because I guess this is one of those things that we just maybe we don't want to know. Patient aggression, sexual aggression, hitting, biting, oh, uh, all of this stuff. Yeah, it's horrible. I mean, you just you you'd be shocked. I remember the first time I got punched by somebody, I thought I was like really strong, and I I got in the way of an elevator and her. I said, like, I let her. She punched me. I was shocked at how hard she punched me. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I've had people swing at me and I don't even do hands-on care. And I think that's, you know, some of the frustration, there's a lot of arguments happen between the families and the aides. They're like, well, you just don't know how to handle someone with dementia. That's why you're getting punched and hit. And they're like, no, I'm really trying my hardest to be nice and explain things. And I'm still getting punched and hit and scratched. And it's, you know, 
I guess you say the reversal of life, it's the same thing. Kids don't want to get changed, you know. They want to wear clothes they're not supposed to wear. You know, since I'm raising two young kids, it's the same thing. If you try to force them, they might go kicking and screaming. You you, you said know, it's a you said it's a you said more than once you said the dementia is is a terminal disease is it terminal simply because there's no cure so you're going to die with it or or does does one die because of it? Uh, you die because of it because it, I mean your brain degenerates um, and I've seen people start having you know, issues with swallowing and get pneumonia. You don't die of the brain disease. You stop. You die of the consequences of it. If you stop eating, you have no desire to eat. Um, you, basically, they just stop functioning. They crawl into a little ball and are non-communicative. And, and what ends up, they die from infections you know, or falls. And they break a hip. And that generally you know, causes it finally. But your brain okay. is shutting down. Yeah. Well, back to this, back to this patient, patient acting out and patient aggression and everything we were talking about. One of the reasons that I, I gather that, that most families don't believe uh, the, the staff when they tell them that their, their, their mom or, or whoever is, is being aggressive or, or throwing things or et cetera is because of this thing. And I've heard of it, but I never really, I guess, associated uh, it with what it really is, the sundowner thing, which is yes, apparently, yeah. I, I think you said in your book, like uh, at five o'clock when the family leaves, you know, everything could still be all, all happiness and, mm-hmm. and, and light. And, and yet by six o'clock, that same uh, grandma is going to be throwing chairs in the dining room. I know, and it was always really, really bizarre when you work in nursing homes to see this. I mean, every nurse that works in a nursing home will tell you at shift change, it's, it's just start. And families need to be there at night. That's the only time they're going to see this because it does not happen in the day. I mean, wow. people are like, when they're fine in the morning. I mean, it's mark. It's just remarkable. I mean, it would blow me away. The total change in personality. You know, and we would gear meds towards later in the day, like right before they sundown. We would schedule their meds an hour before they would sundown. That's how predictable it was. No. So we would try to plan group activities, like good nursing homes. They'll try to plan activities around sundown or time, because usually it's the shift change, and that's like the worst time to sundown. But some places were smart, and they'd be like, "Let's plan a bunch of activities, and we know people are going to be most active." And they would try to catch it, but. It's something with the circadian rhythms gets thrown off uh-huh. as we age. Uh, and if people had a urine infection, a bladder infection, that would also cause sundowning. Sometimes we would know just by someone's change in behavior, like check their urine, they got a bladder infection again. So it was that predictable. But, so I can't suggest that strong enough to go at different hours if you're going to visit somebody. If, they're, if the nursing homes are calling you complaining about behaviors, Make sure you show up during sundowning hours That's, uh, or later in the evening. Uh, and, and, and you devoted an entire chapter on pills and really, and really helped us understand it. You broke it down to four categories, which we can kind of understand. Uh, I, I got the impression, though, that that was part of the job. You really didn't like that much. Um, 
Yes, isn't that sad? A psychiatrist who doesn't like pills. <laughs> Most people <laughs> don't believe that, but <laughs> um, I hate prescribing medication. <laughs> but I've seen it do like miracles, or I've seen just like really bad side effects. I only do it if I have to do it. If I really think there's no way around it, then you know sometimes they actually help the suffering uh, that people are having. Like right now, I work in an intensive care unit, and they're they're suffering. They're tied to the bed. They're hallucinating. I could kind of ease that with the medication, so I that's fine for me. But you know, giving people in a nursing home, you know, medications long term to control behaviors is, you know, I don't want to hurt anybody or have anybody have side effects. But I mean, what you're if you think about what you're doing, you're putting. Um, 50 to 80 people with dementia in a small area and they all start interacting and playing off each other and it gets a lot harder. You know, they yell at each other, they try to swing and hit each other. Wow, that's, um, that's got to be a I crazy mean, you're job. <laughs> yeah, I wish there was a better way. There's got to be a better way, but I have not seen it yet. <laughs> Uh-huh. I'm hoping all the engineers will develop something. You know, to keep I was surprised people from at how well. Uh, I was surprised at how well seemingly the the antidepressants seem to help a lot of situations. Yeah, I am a big fan of antidepressants. You know, I know they're not perfect. I don't treat everything, but if you can, you know, they really help some of the anxiety and fear. And there was one in particular I used a lot for depression. Um, Appetite was called Remeron. That saved us so many times. Oh my goodness! The people just stop eating. They can't sleep. I mean, it doesn't cure everything, but if you can give them a little relief, that was just so nice to be able to do. But you know, you had to get permission. Everything and the drug companies requires permission. The drug companies are always hovering somewhere, right? I know. I just actually. About eight years ago, I'm very outspoken. I wrote this letter to the FDA about this medication called Nudexta, and it was a drug that's come out for emotional mood swings related to, like, this rare neurological problem. And I wrote that they were pressuring us to prescribe it, and they're, you know, not buying us lunches because we didn't give this medication. I wrote a letter to the FDA saying, I don't know what's going on here, but these people are pressuring us. So, like, Two months ago, I got a call from the Department of Justice <laughs> saying, we're investigating New Dexto in nursing homes, and we understand you wrote this letter. And I didn't remember writing the letter, but um, apparently they're going to pursue a lawsuit against New Dexta um, for being pushed on elderly in nursing homes um, when it was used off-label constantly for behaviors, when it's not for the behaviors with dementia. So we'll see where that goes. Wow, eight you years, big huh? Mouth. Department of Justice calling me, yep. <laughs> well, the other thing How that... that I, do now? <laughs> I mean, the other thing that you were outspoken about, uh, it, it was clear that, that there were, that, that you've worked in uh, some nursing homes that didn't want you back because you <laughs> kept telling them about their problems the and their deficiencies <laughs> and their shortcomings. Uh, I know I'm actually dealing with that right now. I got, again, I haven't worked in nursing homes for five years, but I got pulled into it. I can't, it's still an active lawsuit, but I'm like star witness for the prosecution. 
and apparently I'm the only one who, who's been honest about the nursing home's fault in the lawsuit, and I see my peers not telling the truth, which actually I got really down for a couple of weeks. I'm like, I'm so honest, and I'm telling the truth, and I'm saying what fault the nursing home had, and I'm getting, you know, in lots of trouble with the, the defensive, you know, the nursing home defense prosecute um, lawyer. And I really got the, I started thinking about why do people not tell the truth, you know, really? in nursing homes when there is, I, they, I, and then I realized after working in nursing homes in Palm Beach County for forever, if you leave one nursing home, you got to get hired at another nursing home and your reputation is going to get around really fast. You know, a lot of nurses are scared to be honest because they won't work in the industry anymore. So you know, cover up is a regular thing. I honestly think that, yeah, you know, and I, I don't want to take part in that, but it's something that has really, you know, hurt my soul, and now I'm testifying for a patient who is harmed, but I'm always going to be honest, and I know that some people are just, just too scared to, because after the pressure I've had from the defense lawyer all over me and having to even just get a lawyer to keep her off me just because I was honest. I can see why people don't want to yeah. be honest. I mean, they've yeah. made my life really tough and I'm just trying to tell the truth. So I could, I mean, I've quit many homes where I felt unethical things were happening and I wish I had well, you kind of gave it away for that. <laughs> you you kind of gave it away. I don't know if you meant to, but I you guess gave I away did. the, I the statistics really <laughs> that you you have worked you worked like in twelve nursing homes, but you only stuck with two of them. You discarded that's the other correct. ten because of what you were talking about, and that's that's not a very good ratio for You're us good out here in the <laughs> out here in the I world know, who are trying right. to figure out find, how to find a nursing home. But but you gave us a chapter on how to choose a nursing uh-huh. home, and that by itself, I think, makes this book a necessity for the shelf. Oh, okay. I'm glad. I know. I wish I could be. That's why, again, it was hard for me to write a book about dementia. I'm like, they're so depressing to write, and I wish <laughs> I had all this great news to tell people, but that's why I try to just, on the perspective of someone who's worked in them for 20 years, how I would manage it, and how I would interact with nurses and aides and you know, if I ever had to make this hard decision. Well, let's not but, give away you know, everything it, because be we involved. still got to. Yeah. <laughs> we still got to give people a reason to buy the book, so let's not give away everything. But but just oh, give no, us okay, a few okay. salient pointers <laughs> on how to choose a nursing home when the time comes. Um, I think you know, going in and most people get the the tour with the marketer. And the marketer will just say glowing things about nursing homes. If you can talk to any of the nurses and staff, like pull away or go at a time when the the marketer is not there, and you could just kind Especially of come after in and hours, watch. You and, said. <laughs> yeah, because you'll see more of how they manage, like the sundowning or the behaviors. I think it's imp- important to find out who their medical director is and how involved they are with patient care because there's some that are really involved and there's some that just kind of walk by the door and peek around the door and count that as a uh, an observation. But there's some that really are involved and, you know, if you can, someone that you could reach and talk to or, you know, ask questions of the medical director, I think that's important. 
Um, I don't know if it has to be. A lot of times these places are beautiful and tons of money. And that doesn't always mean they're the, the best places. But I think those are the ones just finding out if they can have a good degree of communication with the people that run the place. And staff longevity. Because if you don't, yes, staff turnover. I think that's, that was a huge thing because usually if you're unhappy with the administrator, the turnover is rapid. And that just creates more disorganized, like disjointed care. So I, I tended to last longer in the ones with the low staff turnover, since you pointed that out. <laughs> um, I could say that for sure. And with a good relationship with the administrator um, that's hands-on and not afraid to leave their office, you know, and get their hands dirty. So communication, that to me is the most important Okay, but you had there were several several other really really good points on on how to choose a nursing home. So, uh, so we'll we'll let them f- figure those out for themselves. But I think you know everybody's gonna everybody's gonna have to have yeah. this. There is one thing that yeah. I wanted to mention that that you, I wonder if you uh, included it with a bit of trepidation, but you mentioned it a couple of times. And I will uh-huh. say ahead of time, I agree with you whole, totally that it's really too bad that we can't just serve a lot of these people a good dose of marijuana. Oh, no, okay. <laughs> Actually, I am a marijuana prescriber in Florida right now. <laughs> um, oh, for elderly, <laughs> not for young kids. Uh, it's just like, but you think that would mellow things Xanax out pretty nicely. Versus Percocet. They're so, it, marijuana is so much safer than Percocet and Xanax. I could just, it is. There's just no way around it. <laughs> um, I'm just being realistic, you know, avoiding legal issues and politics. It's the safest thing out there. <laughs> okay. Well, I've been talking um, with Karen but... Severson, who spent 20 years inside the system of nursing homes in America and who has provided us all with this excellent handbook about them. Thank you so much, Dr. Severson, for taking the time Thank with you. us. Thank you. I enjoyed the, that half hour. Thank you. Good. Folks, this is a handbook, and it's going to be useful for us all as we or our family members approach end of life. It's extremely easy to read and uh, and to understand. And, and as you've just heard from the author, there's quite a bit of humor packed in between some of the grim facts of life. You can find this book anywhere books are sold. Look. I Shrunk Grandma by Karen Severson, M.D. This has been the author's interview from Sunbury Press. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.